As we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, I would like to have you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, verses 29 through 34. We will return to our study in the Gospel of John this morning as part of our communion service. The last time we were in the Gospel of John, John was being tested, the Pharisees sent a group of Levites and priests to question him. And they asked him, who are you? And so where we are now is the next day, the next day after that. And so we read in verses 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this person I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Well, our first point this morning is the Lamb of God. One of the great titles and descriptions of Jesus is... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. R.C. Sproul tells the story of a time when he went to a great theological conference when there were all of these Bible scholars who had gathered. And he said, normally when you go to a conference like this, the speakers get up and they present these weighty theological papers. But he said on one occasion... There was a man at this conference and he stood up and for 30 minutes all he did was read the titles of Jesus from the New Testament. Titles like Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Lord, the Consolation of Israel, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Alpha and the Omega. And for 30 minutes, he read these titles without comment and then sat down. And R.C. Sproul said it was powerful. And he said it struck him that the Father had given the Son so many titles that a man could stand up for 30 minutes and just read all of those titles. Well, one of those great titles is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Latin Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. And throughout the history of the church, the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God, has been so much a part of Christian art in paintings, in music, and in other forms of Christian art. There is this great theme of the Lamb of God. And it may surprise you this morning to know that there are only two books 
in the Bible that really focus on this term, the Lamb of God, and they are both written by the same person, the Apostle John. One is the Gospel of John and the other is the book of Revelation. And in that great scene in Revelation chapter 5 and verses 11 and 12, we read this. John says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Now we have looked in this series as I am preaching through the Gospel of John, just starting to do that. We looked at what is known as the prologue, the great introduction to the Gospel of John in the first 18 verses. And everything that is said in the first 18 verses prepares us for verse 29. It is preparing us for this great verse because no ordinary man can take away the sin of the world. We have seen that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 30 of our text, John the Baptist says, this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And we saw a couple of weeks ago that John said, I am not even worthy, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. And now he sees Jesus coming toward him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, For his Jewish audience, for his Jewish readers, this would have great significance, incredible meaning. Their minds would automatically run back to the father of their faith, the father of their nation, Abraham, when he was commanded by God to take his son, his only son, Isaac, and to sacrifice him. And as they are moving toward the altar with the wood and the fire, Isaac immediately wonders where's the lamb because he knew that if there was a sacrifice on the altar it would be a lamb and in Genesis chapter 22 in verses 7 and 8 it says this and Isaac said to his father Abraham my father and he said here I am my son now notice this he said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb For a burnt offering. Abraham said. God will provide for himself. The lamb for a burnt offering. My son. But not only would they think of Abraham. They would think of Moses. And they would think of the great Passover of Israel. When God would bring. The final plague. Upon the nation of Egypt. Where he would put to death the firstborn in every household of Egypt, including the household of Pharaoh who sat on the throne. 
But the people would be of Israel would be spared if they would sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their home. In Exodus chapter 12, this isn't going to be on the screen, but just listen as I read. Moses says to the people of Israel, tell all the congregation, or the Lord tells Moses to say this, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no, plague will, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so John says, Behold, the Lamb. Now verse 29 teaches two powerful truths that we dare not miss this morning. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First, the first powerful truth is this. It means that the God-man, the Lamb of God, would die. If he is the Lamb of God, then every Jewish person knew that he was destined to die. If he's a lamb, a lamb would be sacrificed for sin. Behold the Lamb of God. Right from the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, John the, ba- excuse me, John the Baptist declares... He's the lamb who will be killed. But there is a second powerful truth. It meant that his death would be for the whole world, not just for the Jews. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when John says he will take away the sin of the world, He doesn't mean that every person in the world will be saved. That would be universalism. Universalism is the false teaching that in the end, everybody gets saved. Everybody goes to heaven no matter what you believe, no matter who you are. But that's not what he's saying at all. What John is saying is this. That every person, Jew or Gentile, People from every people group in the world will be saved if they believe in Jesus and follow him. Don't miss it this morning. Don't miss it. This is a great missionary verse. This is a great missionary verse. This is Revelation 5.9 where it says of the Lamb, you will be slain. And with your blood you will purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We could translate it this way. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of people from every people group all over the world. Well, our second point this morning is the descent of the Spirit. John the Baptist witnesses the Holy Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and remain on Jesus. In verses 31 through 34 again, John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now we know that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descended on Jesus at his baptism. But John, unlike the other gospel writers, does not record the actual baptism of Jesus And he doesn't because that is not his purpose. That is not his point. He wants you to understand why. Why he was baptized with the Spirit. And why it is important to us. And at the end of verse 32 it says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Now the dove in the Old Testament was a clean bird, a clean animal. It was used as a sacrifice of the poor and the lowly. And the dove in the Bible represents purity, lowliness, and humility. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And the Apostle John wants us to see the stark contrast between John the Baptist's water baptism and Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water to prepare hearts for the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist called people to repent. He pointed them to the fact that a far greater baptism was coming. His baptism with water only symbolized the true baptism the true cleansing baptism that Jesus was about to bring. This teaches us the vast superiority of Jesus to John the Baptist, which John wants us to understand. He is greater than I am. He is before me because he came before me. But this also teaches us that the Messiah has come. Because in the Old Testament it says that when Messiah When Messiah comes, the Holy Spirit will rest on him. One of the great and most famous passages in the Old Testament on this is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And as I read this, and as you see it on the screen, I want you to notice the word spirit. It is capitalized. And when it is capitalized, it means the Holy Spirit. So this is from the Old Testament. And this is what Isaiah writes about the Messiah. There shall, there shall come forth a 
shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. John the Baptist says, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. Well, John the Baptist... Excuse me, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus came to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse 33, it says, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He. This is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. From now on, now that God has come in the flesh, The Holy Spirit will come through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always, always, always works in conjunction with the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit doesn't just wander around the world touching people. He always works in conjunction with, in perfect harmony with the person and work of Of Jesus Christ. And when you come to know Christ as Savior. When you pray to receive him as the Savior and Lord of your life. When you surrender your life to him. Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. He immerses you with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means to immerse. And when you trust Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit immerses you. And the entire salvation work of Christ in his death and resurrection is applied to your life. And you become a new creation in Christ. You become saved. And as I have shared with you so many times through so many passages, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get all of him. You don't just get a piece of him. You don't just get a part of him. You get all of him because you have been baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit infuses in you. He places within your soul a passion and desire to honor and glorify Jesus. All of a sudden you have this deep-seated zeal that you just want to honor and glorify Jesus. You know why? Because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. He is always pointing us to Jesus. Glorify Jesus. Honor Jesus. Exalt Jesus. Focus on Jesus. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me try to bring both parts of this message together. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, you, his salvation work, his redemptive work is fully 
applied to your life and you are forgiven of all your sins and you become sons and daughters of God. As we go to communion this morning, let us think, meditate deeply on that sentence. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.